ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Ex-tropical cyclone Lincoln is slowly moving west but still dumping big rain along the WANT border. Uh, well, here at Nicholson at the homestead, we've had 127 mils since about 1pm yesterday. And then down south in Gordon Downs, one of our farm bots registered 194 mils in the last 48 hours. Big rain on the border. You'll hear more from Nicholson Station in just a moment. We'll also today learn about a new ranger hub that's been set up in Tennant Creek. And did you watch Four Corners last night? And it's expose on the big supermarkets. My goodness. Some incredible revelations coming out of that program. Let's talk about that today on the Country Hour. But first, the North Australia Savannah Fire Forum. It is on today in Darwin. This event is now in its sixth year. And it's an event that just gets bigger and bigger to the point where it's now held in the Darwin Convention Centre over three days and it's still a sellout. They've sold all of the tickets to this forum. Our reporter Dan Fitzgerald is there. It is lunchtime at the forum. Dan, what's been some of the big talking points this morning? Yeah, Matt, it's uh, certainly a big event. There's nearly 400 people down here at the convention centre and they're all people who, in one one way or another, are involved in the Savannah fire carbon projects right across northern Australia. That's where basically country is burnt early in the year to prevent large bushfires later in the season and collecting some carbon credits for doing so. And this morning we've been hearing from groups right across the top end, um, mainly in the Kimberley so far, speaking about their year that was, some of the new initiatives that they've been doing, getting out on country. There's been some new groups who've just started up over in the West, so we've been hearing from them. We're going to hear some more from some of the top end ranger groups later this afternoon. Uh, we also heard from NAFI's Rowan Fisher. This is the fire tracking website that we talk a lot about on the Country Hour. Yes. Rowan gave a bit of a wrap of what 2023 was like. He said there were 16 million map requests for that NAFI website in 2023, which is six times the largest year they've had. So there was just a, a huge um, burden placed on that website. Um, and all the people who were looking for information about where fires were spreading across the north and a lot of them in the Barclay and Central Australia region. Uh, He also gave a little sneak peek, Matt, to a new interface that is coming to the website, the NAFI website, very soon. Uh, We'll hopefully hear more when that is actually rolled out. Um, And we also heard from one of the directors of the Indigenous Carbon Industry Network, which brings all of these ranger groups who are involved in the Savannah Fire Carbon along, and they pretty much run this show. Um, Yeah, I spoke to uh, Suzanne Thompson. She's a director, and she's from central Queensland. And I had a good chat with her about what is making this forum and this industry just get bigger and bigger every year. Uh, you know, I think there's so many things about that, but I think that, um, you know, the, well, I think what I observe in, in the uh, growth of the industry is the urgency that's coming now with climate. 
and our response to climate, our emissions in Australia as well. How do we respond to um, how we're emitting? How are we, um, you know, putting back in those things that have been taken out and nourish our country? So I think, for me, I think that's why now we're slowly starting to see it grow. Um, I don't want to go near, you know, the last year's events that happened, um, but you know, because we were still growing as an industry. I remembered starting with Ison. Uh, oh gosh, some five years ago, and there were six members, and so we were a very small group, but we were growing. So just for us as Central Queensland, as HIR carbon practitioners, um, Indigenous carbon practitioners, we owned our own project, so we became members. So as much as it was focusing on Savannah, and then we realised that it needed to grow a little bit beyond that, and so now I think that there is that sense of urgency, but there's also a sense of a cultural respect an acknowledgement of that for us to feel safe enough to want to step in this space to share our knowledge. And what is the demand like for people who want to come and get some carbon credits that are generated by Indigenous people? Oh, the, the, you know, the demand's growing, you know. Um, it's, uh, and I think the thing is, is getting it right, getting the right formula. I think, you know, we, um, we're very lucky we've got, you know, a fire credit. We're looking, you know, there is these methods that we're looking at now around the Savannah fire method, you know, the same as the um, integrated farming method. But also for us, how do the two? Because when we're talking about fire in Australia, it's a very different mindset to then what Western practices are when it comes to backburning, you know, looking at fuel loads and having a set time. So I think there's becoming a bit more of an appreciation of that. Um, so I think, you know, our credits are starting to reach a premium. Um, you know, I dare say that I'm working on, a, you know, a very broad method and looking at the rainbow capture, as we're calling it, as a more of a holistic view, because I I think one of the things is being a practitioner in the space as well um, it's not just about fire it's about everything that we do to care for our country so that then we're we're evolving and revolving uh, the seed stock so it's producing things and providing stuff for us so you know our medicine plants and our our, our, our tucker plants and also our native animals and things and so we know that there's a that that needs to um, be considered I suppose if we're looking at a healthy view of um, you know, our future. And we've just been hearing a lot of ranger groups from across the north talking about also the benefits of, of people getting out on country as well. Oh, definitely, you know. And I think for everybody, you get to step outside the city, you get to step outside anywhere and you start to put yourself out into country. I think for us, it's about... Um, you know, there is a sense of healing when it comes to having the opportunity to be on country because as first, first peoples of this country, um, we are able to reconnect with the very thing that we call our ancestors. And then, you know, so when we talk about our law, there's a whole big structural thing around our law and what does that mean? So it's very much, I suppose, when we're thinking about the practice um, and more, uh, more of our mob coming along to, uh, I suppose, participate in this is getting to realise their sense of identity and that connection back to country, and that's really empowering. And, you know, so through that, then perhaps we can start to address some of these closing the gap issues that have popped up in more recent times with the, you know, after the... I wasn't going to say it, but after that thing last year, and, and in particular... Um, you know, if they're closing the gap and we're getting further away, then maybe we need to start to focus on some of the more positive outcomes of our participation and our true sense of self-determination on how we see we know how to fix our problem. Mm. 
that kind of brings me to one of the other hats you wear. Late last year, you were appointed to the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee. Uh, tell us how you came to be appointed to that and what is that group all about? Yeah, oh, look, I was part of the Chubb Review, so of course being a member of ISIN and being a practitioner in the space and realising that our lens, our First Nations lens, was not being seen or heard. And so part of the Chubb Review was about restructuring what does this look like for, you know, um, the, our Australia's response to our emissions reductions and also having First Nations voices sitting there at the table at the get-go where the decisions are made. So we're not just an afterthought. So myself, I'm very, very honoured and very, very proud to take up the challenge of being the first ever um, uh, First Nations board member and being a woman. Um, for me, culturally, women are boss of country. We're a matriarchal uh, culture. So I think that maybe helped foster my way through to that space. I think having my own sense of honesty and integrity in that space, but also the willingness to want to share about what our law is and understanding how to unpack the very... Uh, the very knowledge that we're setting at the table and one of the things that I shared with the board um, at the last board meeting is reminding them of this knowledge you're coming don't don't feel so confused by it because remember we have a belief that as a man and a woman had a conversation with a snake about not eating an apple what culture were they what language did the snake speak and did we have apples because what we're trying to share and tell you we have etched on ancient rock walls that is our evidence and our proof of a continual practice that when Australia so for my role in Iraq is to ensure that that's the knowledge that we're sharing so that then as we're looking at resetting and our participation in this space is a good clear understanding of it and not a confusion but we're here we want to walk with you scientists we want to walk with you corporates decision makers and so that's what I like to see that I'm bringing to the Iraq role, um, you know. And of course, I keep saying I'm not driven by economics, because my end game is making sure my grandchildren are safe for the future. There have been some criticisms levelled at Australia's carbon credit system. Um, how important is your role and and that committee's role in making sure that when you buy a credit, there is an equivalent ton of of CO2 being uh, sequestered or, or sequestered. Well, I think you know. I think let's not let's not rush into these things. And I think we can. I think it can be quite problematic to think about. We just rush in. All of a sudden, there's you know because climate's a right. It's here. We're looking at it. This year is probably one of the toughest years. So when we're starting to think about that integrity of how we capture, I think that's where we've got to take our time to really listen and observe. But we know as Indigenous Australians what our country should look like. We know what we should be doing as far as caring for our country. So where I live in central western Queensland, uh, you know, it's annihilated through land clearing. And, and we know that if we've lost all of that, that, that uh, timber stock, all those great trees and stuff, then we've got erosion, you know, then our wildfires are getting worse. So if we're not starting to put these practices back into, into country, then I don't think that um, we will be able to maintain our integrity. And so that's what's really important in my role on Iraq. Um, that we have that because I think there's lots of different interesting methods that come by. Um, for me, I still stay true to myself, ask the questions. And then if I don't understand, then please show me because I can't make a decision and won't make a decision on something I don't know about. Thanks for your time on the Country Hour. Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah, big thanks to Suzanne Thompson, a director of the Indigenous Carbon Industry Network, speaking to Dan Fitzgerald at the North Australian Savannah Fire Forum, which is on today in Darwin. It's on over the next three days, a sold-out event there at the Darwin Convention Centre. You'll be hearing more stories from this event right here on the Country Hour over the next few days. Yo, country. Hello, my name is Otto Campion, Pulmania. They call me from Bushnep. I'm a Arifia swamp ranger. I'm working um, with many countrymen. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Now, did you watch Four Corners last night on the ABC? Whoa! The program and looked at the tactics used by supermarkets to keep profits high and competition out. And one alarming example, I'm still shaking my head because I think, well, I know I've fallen for this, definitely. So it was described by former chair of the ACCC, Rod Sims, as misleading advertising. The example was Cole's home brand wine, called two churches. Here's Angus Grigg to explain. You may not realise it, but Coles is a big player in wine. I've come to the Coles-owned vintage cellars to pick up a bottle of red. There's no shortage of choice, but like many consumers, I go for a mid-price wine at eye level. Just that one, thanks. So I decided on this one, the Two Churches Preacher Shiraz. I really like the label, but what really got me was a story on the back. It tells a tale of German immigrants coming to South Australia, of two Lutheran priests who fell out and built rival churches at opposite ends of the same village. Online, it's promoted as a tale from the Barossa Valley, where the priests disagreed on almost everything except the quality of grapes grown in the now famous wine region. So I'm here in the Barossa to find out where these grapes are grown. So this is it, the Light Pass Emmanuel Church, just like on the bottle here. And over there, that's the rival church. It's just such a great story. Is this the home of two churches? I couldn't tell you that from this bottle. Adrian Hoffman is a fifth-generation grape grower from the Barossa and says there's no two churches vineyard around here. I think they're sort of misleading the consumer to a certain degree. It sounds like a Barossa story, but, um, yeah, you can't be guaranteed it's Barossa fruit, unfortunately. So So where is the home of two churches wine? And what about the address on the back? What does that tell me? Well, that's, that's the first thing I'd sort of go to. You, you look at where it's produced, and um, this says it's uh, Hawthorne East in Victoria. So here I am in suburban Melbourne. Turns out this is the closest there is to a home for the two churches, Shiraz. Not that it says Coles anywhere on the bottle. Coles says it has around 260 private label wines available through its liquor stores. I mean, the test under law is would a reasonable consumer be misled? Now, if on the label of the bottle you're telling a story that's unrelated to the product, then I think that 
runs a serious risk of being misleading. Why not put your name on it? Why not say it's Coles Shardy or Supermarket Shiraz? Why are you hiding the fact that you own this brand? So uh, in terms of communicating uh, with customers, um, there are practices across many retailers and many industries where... Take that point. Shouldn't you say, shouldn't you be honest with the consumer and say, this is a Coles wine? But why do it? We're very comfortable that the branding approach that we have in our liquor brands is one that resonates with customers. After our interview, Coles removed any reference to the Barossa from its online promotion of two churches. That's Angus Grigg from Four Corners. If you missed the program last night, you can catch it via ABC iView. One of the big talking points from last night's program was how the chief executive of Woolworths, Brad Baducci, he walked out on the interview halfway through while copying questions about price gouging. And he's now facing calls to step down from that role. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, he was asked about this at a press conference just a moment ago in WA. This was his response. Uh, I have seen reports of it. And uh, business CEOs are accountable uh, for their actions. They're accountable to their customers. And uh, the CEOs of major companies... Uh, need to do that, need to be responsive. There's a great deal of concern out there that when there has been lower costs paid to farmers, that hasn't led to uh, lower costs at the checkout. So it's a loss for farmers, but a loss for consumers as well. And that has created a great deal of concern out there in the community, which is why we have not just a Senate review, but an ACCC examination, as well as the review taking place by Dr Emerson. That is the PM, Anthony Albanese, speaking a short time ago. As I said, if you missed Four Corners last night, catch it on ABC iView. And I wonder what you made of it. The wine example, it shocked me. Only because, I'll admit, that's me. I definitely go to these bottlers. And um, an old mentor of mine once said, if it's from South Australia and it's red, it'll be good. And so I'm, I'm definitely over the years would have picked up a bottle, looked at the label. If it said Barossa, had a fun label on it, I've bought it. Turns out I've perhaps been buying a lot of wine that's got nothing to do with the Barossa, is owned by Coles and made in a factory somewhere in Victoria. That's up on ABC iView. If you missed it, go and check it out. Now, last week, the NT government, it finally released its policy on extracting surface water during the wet season. Last week, you heard from farmers, you heard from the Amateur Fishermen's Association and the government who have all given this policy the thumbs up and say it's good news. The Environment Centre of the Northern Territory disagrees. You'll hear from its chief executive next. A bit of Waylon Jennings. (laughs) for your Tuesday lunchtime. You are tuned into the Country Hour. The NT government released its long-awaited surface water policy last week, which reduces the amount of water that can be extracted from top-end rivers during the wet season. The NT's long had a default 80-20 policy, which enabled 20% of river flows to be extracted for commercial use, with the rest maintained 
for the environment. 80-20, it's been around for decades, hasn't it? Well, the government's new policy for the wet season reduces that to less than 5% for industry. Farmers have told the Country Hour that it's a conservative approach, but it makes sense. And the Amateur Fishermen's Association says it's good news. This is good news from the perspective that it provides a greater certainty and significantly more precaution uh, in water harvest and planning uh, for the Northern Territory. And that's good news for the rivers and it's good news for our fish stocks, especially like Barramundi. So FN says it is good news, but not everyone agrees. Kirsty Howie is from the Environment Centre NT and says this policy has opened the floodgates for huge amounts of water to be taken from Territory rivers. We've got a different view about uh, this particular policy and, um, you know, industry has been lobbying for this for many years now and our review, our view is that it will result pretty simply in more water being taken out of rivers and will enable dams to be constructed uh, in the floodplains of rivers like the Roper and Daly for water to be taken out during the wet season. And uh, this is a signal to industry that it's now possible to apply for a completely new category of licence that simply didn't exist before. Can you explain the ability to take more water out? Because as the, the government says, it's moved from the old default setting of 80-20 to essentially 95-5. That's less water. Well, look, it really depends on how you spin it. And I do appreciate that that is the spin that the government's giving to it. Uh, our view is that this simply there has not been significant extraction of water during the wet season for dams, for industries like cotton mining and others. And what this, this does is that it creates a new category of licence, really, that's in effect what it's doing, that will enable that new level of extraction to happen. So... Uh, Environmentalists haven't lobbied for this policy. Um, you were on the steering committee, for weren't this you? Policy. I was absolutely on the steering committee and I expressed my concerns at numerous points um, about this. And I would say that it's not just about the volume of water. You need to look at this policy in its context. It's only as good as, as its enforceability. And the bottom line is that our water laws, they're just not fit for purpose to, to ensure that this 5% will indeed be a cap. We've got a really discretionary system. Water licences don't even need to comply with any particular policy or even water allocation plans themselves. That was what was sort of said in the Supreme Court a few weeks ago. So, you know, these policies and plans aren't, in our view, really worth the paper they're written on. We need to completely clean up our water laws and make this stuff uh, enforceable. You could take water from a river before. What, what's different now? That's sort of what I don't understand from the Environment Centre's it press release. Well, it's, it's a new category of licence. It's a special bespoke policy that says that this uh, particular mode of extraction can happen. But you could do that uh, before, yes, Kirsty. You could do that before. And we've got examples in the Territory. You could do that before, but we didn't have a policy that was fit for purpose for it. And the bottom line was that, yes, there are a couple of dams, like the Lejeune Dam, for instance, which is subject to a water licence for wet season take, but it just hasn't been a widespread practice. And what this does is that it will absolutely lead to more water being taken, not less. The Amateur Fishermen's Association says this policy is good news for the rivers and fish docks like Barramundi. Are they wrong? Uh, we, we disagree with that for the reasons that I've explained. Uh, we don't think that this is a policy that applies any kind of cap um, for 
the reasons I've explained, which is problems with the enforceability and our water laws in the Northern Territory more broadly. It is going to lead to more uh, dams being put on rivers. And I will say the other part of the policy that hasn't received a lot of attention is something called the permit to interfere with a waterway. Now, those are going to be applied for without even being advertised. We're not going to know where these dams are. So I certainly would not uh, ever be comfortable saying that this particular policy is good for our rivers. Just before you go, Kirsty Howie, the owners of Claraval Farm on Friday, just gone, applied to clear 1,900 hectares for improved pasture and hay production. And this application comes, of course, while the owners are getting ready to head to court next week for allegedly clearing land without a permit. What do you make of this? Look, it's it's very troubling. Um, it was shocking to a lot of people across the Territory when they saw on the ABC... Um, clearing nearly all the way to the riverbank on Claravale Farm. Um, and we're concerned about this new application. Uh, we're concerned about how close the clearing is to the Daly River. Uh, right now, um, you can clear uh, up to 250 metres from the Daly River. We understand that this application actually goes a bit further than that. And a few years ago, that wouldn't have even been possible because there was a buffer of a 1,000 metres a kilometre uh, from the Daly River in the land clearing guidelines. And, and th those old guidelines have been shredded with new guidelines in place and we're really concerned that this won't adequately protect uh, the, the Daly River and uh, we'll be looking at this application very closely. Do you think a kilometre is a good buffer, that it needs to go back to that? <sighs> I think that uh, it needs to be science-based. And we need to be looking at things like uh, exactly sort of what the impact would be from things like sediment runoff, pesticide runoff, um, if clearing was to occur any closer and there was to be cropping in those areas, for instance. Um, there was a reason those buffers were put in place um, and that was, as I understand it, based on science and it's never been clear to me why they've been removed, to be honest. That is Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre NT. If you missed our coverage last week about this surface water policy, you can read all about it, including links to the policy itself. So this is up on our website if you search for NT Country Hour. Our text number is 0487 Someone here says if the NT Environment Centre had its way on everything, we'd be walking around naked and hungry, sleeping in the dirt. Someone else here is keen to hear some Toby Keith this afternoon. The late, great Toby Keith. I reckon I can help you out there. I reckon I can in the second half. But we've got to go to the newsroom first, and I'll see you back here in five minutes' time for a chat with the Weather Bureau. Hello, uh, my name is Inamala Kumana, and I'm one of the Ralka Rangers from Northern Arnhem Land. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. I trust you are well. Ex-tropical cyclone Lincoln slowly making its way west, but by golly, it's bringing some pretty decent rain to the border country, the WANT border. In a moment, you'll be hearing from the team at Nicholson Station. Uh, well, here at Nicholson at the homestead, we've had 127 mils since about 1pm yesterday. And then down south in Gordon Downs, one of our farm bots registered 194 mils in the last 48 hours. Yeah, that is wet, isn't it? That's a lot of rain. 
Uh, so that's uh, Maddie Stuff, who's out at Nicholson Station. She's actually got somewhere very important to be this weekend and is worried she might get flooded in. I'll tell you more about this in a moment. Also, in some great news for Tennant Creek, the town has a new ranger hub. You'll be learning more about that before 1.30. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter's there this afternoon. Uh, Sally, ex-tropical cyclone Lincoln, delivering some decent rain. What are some of the big totals up to 9 o'clock this morning? Okay, for the, the 24 hours to 9, most of around that Victoria River catchment, 132 at Larger Manu. The East Bains River had 125. Sunshine Bore, 108. The Keep River, 131. So one, one lot of data I saw didn't report after about 1 o'clock, but that could be because it hadn't rained. So, But that's still a pretty big total. The the Bullo River, 77 millimetres. The Victoria River crossing, only 1 millimetre. So if you're looking down through the, the lower reaches, there isn't, hasn't, wasn't that much to overnight. It's West Bains River, 41. Border Creek, 89. And Kalkarinji, 73. So there's some pretty good falls down there. Rabbit Flat got 24 millimetres. Mm. So that's that's still that's pretty good for down there. The and there's still a severe weather warning in place for heavy rainfall on oh, that border country. Oh yeah, yep, yep. There certainly is the. And then if you're looking at there's been some good falls since 9 a.m. as well. So we've, we've got some bands spiralling, but in but they seem to be the storms are moving, so they're going across you, not so much getting stuck underneath them at the moment. So, so since 9 a.m., Large Manu's had another 41 millimetres. Gee. Timber Creek's 21 millimetres. Dashwood Crossing, 17. Victoria River Downs, 12.4. Sunshine Bore, 13.6. So there, there's still a few, a bit out there. There was also some good falls down around that Nooker way as well. So, there's, so, right, so through the central parts is where we've still seen some of those bigger totals. But so there's some lighter totals that go over the top end and and down through the southern parts. Yeah, is it moving across the Kimberley at a at a slower pace than perhaps originally expected? It sort of seems stuck on Halls Creek at the moment. Yeah, we always expected it to slow down, and it was a case of where exactly where it slowed down, the impact it would have on the territory. Because some of the indications was it might have slowed down on Sunday, we should put it over that the headwaters of Victoria River, but it's moved on a little bit. So we're just getting the bands that are, and luckily at the moment they're moving across, so we're not sort of getting just stuck under continuous so at one point not being stuck under continuous storms. It's sort of spreading the water out a bit. But yeah, it has really slowed down around that Horse Creek area. Yeah, and what's the likelihood of it reforming? Uh once it gets off the Kimberley coast, it's head expected to head down to parallel to the Pilbara Coast and to come in potentially sort of around that Exmouth, sort of that that corner. And it's got a pretty good chance of redeveloping. It's so it's we we're keeping a very close eye on it and if you are out that way we just keeping heading out that way, keeping the ear out for any warnings that we do put out for for cyclone advices that is. But we do have that severe weather warning current and they've still got the flood watch though we've taken it out of the carpentaria at the moment. Yeah, okay. And what about those in the Barclay and Central Australia? What can you tell them about the next few days? Uh, easing conditions for rain. So we, it's, not, it's not going to clear totally, but we're going to lose that real sort of that that forcing that gives it just that little extra of a kick to get going. So showers and storms continuing, but just probably not quite as heavy as we have seen. 
and they're going to be a bit more isolated. Yep. Okay. Um, anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? No, just be aware that the, the it is raining. We have got we do still have that flood watch out, and roads are being impacted by even if it's just the wet roads. But some if there's creek crossings and things, there's some impact there. They so probably just check the conditions before you head out, and just as always, stay tuned to any warnings put out. Because if we do see some thunderstorms outside of that severe warning, severe weather warning area, we may issue for issue for heavy rain if they look like they're just going to sit there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for your time, Sally. Appreciate it. That's okay. Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. This ex-cyclone delivering some big rain, isn't it? Uh, Maddie Staff is at Nicholson Station. It's pretty much bang on the border. And she told Alice Marshall this morning that they've had around 100 millimetres there at the station. There's been more rain elsewhere. And the Nicholson River is on the up. Uh, well, here at Nicholson at the homestead, we've had 127 mils since about 1pm yesterday. Um, and then down south in Gordon Downs, one of our farm bots registered 194 mils in the last 48 hours. So a pretty big drop. What does that mean for you there at the homestead? What are things looking like at the moment? Uh, well, the Nicholson is visible from the offer, uh, office, the river. It's come right back up over the road, which it had no flow yesterday. So uh, it's a pretty hefty drop. And, yeah, it's probably sitting at about three metres um, at its deepest point there. What do you expect that to do over the coming days? It all will depend on what we get upstream um, across the border in Bunda and things. So hopefully it drops, um, but it, it will normally stay up for about a week or so at about the metre mark. Wow. And how does that impact you guys? Of course, you can't see any river height data on... There's nothing on the Bureau of Meteorology website for for the Nicholson, although we do see that you're in um, in flood watch. Do you have to rely purely on phone calls to Bunda and, and upstream? Yeah, pretty well. We're just constantly messaging the neighbours, asking how much rain they've had um, and, yeah, just checking the river as much as we can when we've got a moment or when we can get down to it. And I see that this rain isn't over yet for you, that ex-tropical cyclone's still swirling around your part of the world. What's it looking like? Can you see storm clouds out there at the moment? I'm not hearing rain in the background. No, it hasn't. It's not raining at the moment. It's um, just overcast. It's kind of stopped for now, but um, you can't really see anything darker, but it's all, it's all one shade of grey. Are you expecting more today? Yeah, I think we'll get some more um, in the next hour or so, but then hopefully it'll ease off by tonight. Was it a big storm and the bomb was warning damaging winds? Did you get any of those? No, not really. Uh, just heavy rainfall. There was not really any wind to it at all. And how are your cattle? They're looking great. Uh, I think, I can't speak for Flora, but I know all ours are looking in great condition. They're all on higher ground and, yeah, they're all, they're all in great condition. Because you've had a very wet, wet season, is that right? This is not the first time that the Nicholson River's been up very high for you. In fact, I believe that you were trapped on the wrong side of it at one stage. Yeah, I was unfortunately trapped in uh, Catherine and had to fly back in uh, on the mail plane, but um, that's when the Vic went under as well. So, yeah, it was a very big wet. Uh, and, yeah, there's more to come. It's it's going to be a good season, hopefully. I understand you have tickets to a certain Taylor Swift 
this weekend, are you putting in phone calls to that mail plane once again saying, hello, are you free to take me the other direction this time? Yeah, I am. I'm ready to leave Joel and Wyatt at home um, <laughs> and, and looking around at charter flights to get me out of here on Friday. <laughs> oh, well, if anyone listening wants to go via Nicholson and take Maddie to where are you going? What Taylor Swift is it this weekend? Sydney. I'm going to Sydney, but in all honesty, I'd be happy to get to Halls Creek. So that's Maddie's staff there at Nicholson Station. And if Taylor Swift is listening to the country this afternoon or just any of her people, there's an opportunity to do something great. Get the private jet, go and pick up Maddie and get her to the concert there on the weekend. Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) Right across the Territory, this is the Country Hour. We were talking about surface water extraction just before the 1 o'clock news. The government has put out its policy. It's been a long time coming, but it's out. The Amateur Fishermen's Association has given it the thumbs up, says it's good for rivers, good for barramundi. Farmers say it's conservative, but it makes sense. The government's happy with it, but the Environment Centre, NT, does not like it and says it will lead to more water being taken from rivers. Uh, someone here says, this is on the text line, 0487991057. Someone says they're sucking out of the Roper River right now at Numble Numble and looking to put in a bigger pipe to get more volume. Now, no name attached to this text. But I would imagine you are talking about the Ilmenite mine out there on the Roper. So it's long had a licence to take about 1,600 megalitres a year from the Roper. It gets piped out of the Roper and into a dam. So that licence from memory has been around since about 2012. It is looking to take more water. I'm not too sure about your comment around a bigger pipe. I'm not... I'm not sure about that. Uh, I've got the notice of intention in front of me now. So this is the Australian Ilmenite Resources Company. And it has put in an application to take an extra 1,000 megalitres a year. And it says the proposed source of this extraction is its proposed highway dam, which is not yet built. So... Yeah, this application, it's an interesting one. And for the last couple of weeks here on the Country Hour, we've actually been trying to get this company on the show to come and talk to you about what it's proposing out there on the Roper when it comes to the water and when it comes to the construction of this highway dam. And this company is just not getting back to us. We'll keep trying, though. We will keep trying. Uh, Someone else here on the text, again, no name attached to it. Come on, everyone, you can put your name and where you're from. We're all friends. Uh, Someone here says, I'm not sure if I'm right here, but as I remember it, the 5% water harvest was of the third lowest water flows recorded for the river in question, which makes it 5% of bugger all. When will the Environment Centre be satisfied, says someone. Uh, You are correct in that the 5% is worked out on the drier years. There's actually a video up on our article from last week that explains that in more detail. So if you go and check that out via NT Country Hour, it is all there. It's an interesting topic. Water is always an interesting topic and at times a divisive topic. And it's good to hear everyone's views on it. It is 17 past one. You are tuned in the country. If you want to join the conversation this afternoon, that number zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. The Federal Ag Minister Murray Watt, he's in WA 
today as well. Everyone's over there at the moment. The PM's there. The federal ag minister's there. And he's just spoken to the country hours, Richard Hudson, and says details for the phase-out of the live sheep trade will be released soon. He's in Perth and apparently set aside half an hour yesterday to meet with industry leaders, a meeting that apparently was snubbed by both the president of the WA Farmers Association and president of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association. Murray Watts says the meeting went ahead anyway and it was productive. I was obviously a little surprised that uh, people like John Hassel and Tony Seabrook, who demanded the meeting, then didn't see fit to turn up and left it to their vice presidents, but that's up to them. But look, I thought it was a very productive discussion with people from the Western Australia's Farmers Federation, the local live export industry and the WAPGA as well. Um, We covered a number of issues, obviously the live sheep export policy of the government. We also discussed the recent incident regarding the MV Bahija and also had a good chat about biosecurity and, and chemical regulations. So... You know, I don't know that people got every answer that they were looking for, but I think it's always productive to have those discussions. In the PGA's and WA Farmers' defence, though, they were saying it was only half an hour. They felt it was a bit rude and a bit tokenistic, and they would be happy to participate in something that's a bit more of a meaningful discussion. Do you think they've got a point there? Well... I've already met with representatives from those organisations on at least five occasions over the last 18 months uh, and uh, I was certainly happy to meet with them again while I was in Perth. I think I've met with representatives from those groups almost every time I've been to Perth over the last 18 months and as I say, to me it's a surprising thing to do, to complain in the media and demand a meeting and then not bother to come along for it. I'm not sure that's how their members would see good representation uh, but again that's for those organisations to work out. One of the points yesterday from Tony Seabrook from the PGA on the Country Hour was he said you've had the report into the phase-out of the live sheep trade for about four months now. He's wondering why you haven't released it. And in his words, he thought you were it's buried under cabinet confidentiality. Is it? Well, obviously, this is a very significant decision that the government needs to make. We absolutely intend to honour the commitment that we took to the last two elections to phase out live exports of uh, sheep by sea. Uh, But we've always said that we want to consult with people about the timeframe for that phase out and the way in which we do it. Uh, And the more that we listen to people and talk with them about how we do this, the better the outcome will be. Obviously, for a decision that's as significant as this, it's going to take quite a deal of government decision making. There's lots to consider. Um, There's potentially budgetary Applications as well that we need to consider as a government and weigh them up against other priorities. Um, so I do understand that people are eager to see a resolution of this and for us to give them certainty, and I'm keen to do that as soon as we can. Do you have a time frame? I think a lot of people in the industry would like that certainty. For sure. No, look, I, I understand people are really keen to get a decision, and, and I'd like to be able to do that sooner rather than later. But equally, we need to consider this properly as a government and make sure that we come out with the right answers. Uh, but uh, I've already committed that we will be releasing the report publicly when I make an announcement. Uh, so hopefully we will be able to make a decision and announce a decision before too long. Before too long. That is the Federal Ag Minister Murray Watt speaking to Richard Hudson at the Evoke Ag event, which is on this week in Perth. Got a text here from Daniel Tapp on 0487991057. He says, talking about water, there's more water than you can poke a stick at. And this leads to my question. Is anyone from government or departments, has anyone been down to check out the existing gas wells and proposed gas wells to see if they are out of flood zones or not? Says Daniel this afternoon on 0487991057. Tennant Creek has a brand new ranger hub. 
Tell you more about it next. Pick up the March issue of Gardening Australia magazine for expert advice on growing bulbs. See inspiring garden makeovers, five ways to create a veggie bed, and learn about she-oaks and mid-season apples. An inorganic gardener, small gum trees for urban gardens, tips for success with garlic, plus attract wildlife to your backyard, and the key to healthy soil. Gardening Australia and Organic Gardener. Available from newsagents and abcmagazines.com.au. It is 22 past one. A new ranger hub has been opened in Tennant Creek and is aiming to get more young people involved in caring for country. Victoria Ellis reports. The Murruwarni Uncle Rangers have been waiting for their new hub for a long time. The old workshop, which was basically just a tin shed, has been described as like an oven on Tennant Creek's many stinking hot 40-degree-plus summer days, whereas in the winter, rangers would sometimes have to walk through puddles to get inside. The old hub was also inconveniently split over two locations, as ranger Kylie Sambo explains. Before, we would have our shed separate from our office, and it would it, it was always challenging to go back and forth with... Um, you know, with our information, especially with our data collecting. The new shed has a large fan, lockers, a tool cage, welding benches, and outside a pressure cleaner and wash bay, while the office on the property received a new kitchen, bathroom, furnishings, solar panels, and air conditioning. A new conference space and server room will allow the site to be used as a training facility, while space for heavy equipment means the site can be a central hub for other ranger teams from Alpara, Lajamanu, Dagaragu and Tea Tree. I reckon it'll make a huge difference um, with, with their um, time, time that they spent um, on roads to get to, to places and then come back to do the job and then get that equipment back to where it came from. Muruwarni Uncle Rangers was established in 2003 and is one of the oldest Central Land Council ranger groups. My name is Jeffrey Curtis. Uh, I enjoy being a ranger because I'm looking after a country around our region and I'm making our elders happy. Um, We're going to have to look after their country. What sort of work does your ranger group do? All sort of work. We um, go monitoring animals. And, and checking the water, water monitoring, checking the water holes. There's one thing I'd like to say, yeah, I'm very happy for this new range you have we got now, and um, I hope we do better for the future for our young ones. Now they've got their new hub, the rangers are keen to restart a work experience program that was paused during COVID-19. Yeah, you get the young ones out and, um, from, from school and get them doing a bit of work experience with us, and uh, yeah. Take them out bush and show them the work that we do. Why is it important that you can work with those younger people in the community? Why do you care so much about that? You know, it starts early. If they know it when they're young, it's easy for them when they're older to get back to their roots. Every kid here, you know, they've grown up at bush being, spending time at bush, so this is just a fun way of trying to, you know, work with non-Indigenous people. And then um, I remember one of the young fellows who has done that. As soon as he left school, he came into the workforce with um, Ranger as his first workplace. And it was work experience that got Kylie Sambo into work as a Ranger herself. 
year before, just watching them as a kid first, and then just knowing, like saying, you know, to myself, I'm gonna be a ranger someday, and sure enough, I am. That is Tennant Creek Ranger Kylie Sambo speaking to Victoria Ellis and you also heard from Jeffrey Curtis. You can read more about the new Ranger Hub up on our website this afternoon if you search for NT Country Hour. It is time now to head to the sale yards with all the latest prices out of Roma. Here's David Friend. Roma Ragens yarded 5,421 head, similar numbers to last sale. All processors, feedlots and backgrounders present operating in line with other centres. Prices eased slightly across the board. At the time of this interim report, lightweight yielding steers under 200 kilos topped at 514 to average 470. Yielding steers 200 to 280 kilos average 425, selling from 330 to 490 cents a kilo. Yielding steers 280 to 330 kilos made to 438 to restockers. Yielding steers 330 to 400 kilos also to restockers topped at 394 to average 371. Yielding steers 400 to 480 kilos to feed made to 366 cents a kilo. Yielding steers over 480 kilos also to feed eased in price to 366 with over 480 kilos selling to 320 cents a kilo. Growing steers 400 to 500 kilos made to 292 to average 268. Growing steers 500 to 600 kilos topped at 298 cents a kilo with bulls under 450 kilos selling from 320 to 464 cents a kilo. This has been David Friend from the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, David. In the live export trade, well, the industry is getting back on track. Our top story yesterday was that Indonesia has finally issued its import permits for 2024. So the live export trade has now got its permits. Territory cattle were loaded on the weekend out of Darwin Port and are on their way to Jakarta. Yesterday, we spoke to Troy Setter from the Consolidated Pastoral Company. It owns stations across the north and has got feedlots in Indonesia. And he said this news of the permits is a big relief. Not just for producers and, and exporters from Australia, but also in importers in Indonesia that were starting to face a fair bit of pressure from customers that they were supplying cattle to and, and looking at um, uh, having to put in uh, restrictions on sales. So everyone was quite relieved and particularly some of the live exporters have had ships with the anchor down paying to marriage in Darwin Harbour that uh, is very expensive. Yeah, that was Troy Setter from CPC on the Country Hour yesterday. So Indonesia, he told us, has issued permits for around 650,000 head of cattle this year. That's a lot. Might be a bit of a challenge to supply that many. But it's all good news for the industry. Things are getting back on track. If you missed that coverage yesterday, it's up on our website. And he mentioned to us that... The current price for feeder steers to Indonesia via the Darwin Port sitting at around $3.20 to $3.40 a kilo, which is a good improvement on what the prices were towards the back end of last year. Uh, Just finally on the text line, Paul says, Matt, we must have too much water in Darwin. The Marara water tank was dumping water into the drains around the sporting complex for over two hours when I drove past, reckons Paul. Someone here says, more water you can poke a stick out at the moment with floods across the Beetaloo. Thanks to everyone who got involved in today's program. Uh, To Brian, who was keen to listen to some Toby Keith, I am so sorry that we've run out of time. I've got that song locked away, though. 
the song How Do You Like Me Now. I've got it here. I've got it ready, so I'm sure we'll get to give it a spin on tomorrow's program, Brian. Uh, Thanks to everyone. Keep it rural.